Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company for yet another week, another journey together. Here we are in a brand new year, 2023, the 23rd year of the third millennium, the 23rd year of the 21st century, the fourth year of the 2020s. Do you mind? Well, I hope this new journey around the sun brings you all the joy and wonder you long for. The Camino is a very, very good place to start. I'm looking forward to a year where we can perhaps put the pandemic behind us. Here in Australia, we had five years of drought that led to a summer of catastrophic bushfires. That was followed by floods, followed by a pandemic. And last year, just as the pandemic appeared to be on the wane, more floods. So here's to 2023 being better news, better opportunities for all of us. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. It's wonderful to have you along for the journey. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago. You'll find stories of inspiration, of validation, stories of heartache and triumph, stories of people who dared to believe, to arrive home believers. The Camino is a pilgrimage. You're walking in the footsteps of millions of pilgrims before you, people from all around the world who have had the same idea as you or answered the same calling as you. Because the Camino most definitely calls you. I can hear it and feel it calling me now. The Camino is a series of pilgrimages that wind their way through the back blocks and old Roman roads across Europe. And you'll find yourself walking in fields alongside grazing cattle, through townships where you can smell the stew on the stove, through fields of sunflowers or vineyards heaving with fruit. You'll meet people from all around the world. You'll pray and be prayed for. And you might just find that calling you heard, the Camino Whisper, was for a reason. You needed this. The Camino is your blessing. Frederick Gross wrote in his book, The Philosophy of Walking, None of your knowledge, your reading, your connections will be of any use here. Two legs suffice and big eyes to see with. Walk alone across mountains or through forests. You are nobody to the hills or the thick boughs heavy with greenery. You are no longer a role or a status, not even an individual, but a body, a body that feels sharp stones on the paths, the caress of long grass and the freshness of the wind. When you walk, the world has neither present nor future, nothing but the cycle of mornings and evenings, always the same thing to do all day, walk. But the walker who marvels while walking at the blue rocks in the July evening night, the silvery green of olive leaves at noon and the violet morning hills, has no past, no plans, no experience. He has within him the eternal child. While walking, I am but a simple gaze. Hmm, there's another quote I read this week. Sometimes you have to change everything before you can change yourself. That last quote is from this week's guest. Peter Nathaniel Lee wrote, Walk With Me, A Journey of Healing on the Camino de Santiago. Peter Nathaniel Lee is on the line. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hey, Dan, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. I'm going to go way back. You left home at 15 to join the Royal Navy. Why? Tell us that story. Hmm, that's a great question, Dan. Well, uh, I always had a desire to travel, and part of my character, I would say, is to seek out and enjoy adventures. One of the earliest stories my parents told me about myself was they had to lock the bedroom door to my nursery when I was a very, very small child. Uh, I was known for uh, climbing out of the cot before I could even walk and shuffling off around the house. <laughs> so I think uh, uh, that that was quite frightening for them when they would go in the nursery in the morning and I wasn't there. So I guess I've always had, felt that call to adventure. Um, and there's something about the military life really spoke to that. But I was also... I think at that point in my life, um, yeah, I was like a lot of young people. I was um, not always able to stand in my truth and uh, got myself into a bit of trouble uh, with some friends at um, sixth form, which is uh, it's kind of like our college in England. And uh, yeah, that, uh, that and a combination of uh, some challenges at home, uh, I decided to you know, tongue in cheek, run away and join the Navy. So yeah, I joined at 16. Uh, and I was there till I was 21. So 
You say there have been three constants in your life. The desire to travel the world, to love deeply, and the inescapable impulse to write about the first two. So, let's start with travel. Where did the desire to travel the world come from? Uh, well, I, I always remember looking at a ladybird book uh, and seeing a picture of Machu Picchu. It's a black and white photo. And, you know, I can't have been very old. I think I was probably only about eight. And I remember looking at that and staring at it for, you know, I would stare at pictures like that for a long time. And whilst I was staring, I would be imagining what it would be like to be there, uh, you know, to and not just be there, but to be having a life there. Um, but I think my, my parents also had a love of travel and of hiking. Um, you know, most weekends we would be up in the Derbyshire Dales uh, or, or traveling to Scotland on holidays to be, um, yeah, going on big, long 20 mile hikes when we were just small children. So, uh, lots of, uh, fond, uh, childhood memories of that. And then also of my, <laughs> my dad having to finish the, the walk to get the car and, and come and rescue us from wherever we'd got to. So yeah, travel was something, you know, I think was, uh, kind of stimulated from my, from my early, early life, but. Also, like you said, I think there's just something that's been innate in me that's I had a desire to to go to the edge and also, you know, beyond um, what norm- most people are are doing in their life. Um, uh, but also, equally, I've always felt the pull to return as well, and I think that's those two things go hand in hand. Yeah, uh, as a write a writer or a storyteller. Uh, you know, the hero's journey, it's not simply about having the adventure. It's also about returning and sharing what you've learned and what you've experienced. Yeah, I, know, I have a dear old friend of mine who used to say the best two days of the holiday are the day you leave and the day you get home. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I suppose all of us have the desire to love deeply, but few would have ever considered it a need or a desire. Tell us about your need or desire to love deeply. Uh, yeah, I I think that love is such an interesting, you know, it, it's in many ways it's the source of all things. I, I I believe, and it runs. It's the it's the constant current that runs through all of us through our lives, but also I think the thing that runs beyond our life as well. Um, and, you know, sometimes we learn about love through the experience of, you know, painful experiences through um, grief, through loss, through conflict. Um, and, the out, you know, you could say the absence of love also. And I think travel in a way for me has, you know, the relationship to love has been needing to be close up to it, but then also needing to be far as far away from it as I can possibly get. Mm. Uh, and in that far and distant place, uh, often in sort of wide open lands and big skies, you know, you discover that love is still present. So, um, yeah, I, you know, th- this is definitely a theme throughout the book is, you know, when grief passes, love remains. Yeah, And that was something that I, you know, was able to really experience not just know but know it on an experiential level yeah is that that love continues after death yeah there's a lot of love in longing isn't there mm, absolutely yeah. yeah it's that um it's that sort of uh, poetic um re- perhaps reaching reaching yeah. for, uh, reaching or knowing yeah 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 so the third constance in your life was writing Tell us about that journey. When did you begin your writing pilgrimage and and what does it mean to you? So I think writing um, f- followed a childhood where imagination was really encouraged and stimulated. Um, I had uh, two older brothers and an older sister. Um, the next brother up was four years older than me and then it was nine and ten years. So... I was the youngest and, you know, uh, thankfully it was long before the internet and even before TVs in every bedroom, just, I was born in 81. So I think I was, you know, probably that last sort of generation that got that. But, you know, 
playing was playing with Lego. It was playing in the fields. It was, you know, even with friends, you know, we would, it was let's pretend, you know, right up until uh, secondary school. And then, you know, that only stopped because it wasn't the cool thing to do anymore, but probably secretly we all would have desired that. So uh, imagination, you know, it was a big component, but then um, I think for myself, there's always been an aspect of my personality that when I'm experiencing a moment, there's a part of me that is not just observing it, but is also recording it. And even, even in moments is reading the moment to me. Um, so, you know, a lot of writers joke about this. It's like even in the midst of a divorce and a huge uh, row, you know, there's part of you thinking, mm, that would make a good scene in a book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's that always sort of that, that aspect to you. Um, but my earliest memories of writing really, you know, was my father coming home with a really old-fashioned typewriter. Um, I don't know if it, uh, you know, it was picked up in an old um, garbage sale or something or... Um, but he had this typewriter and I borrowed it. I would hear him typing away in the office, uh, furiously typing away, uh, doing work. And so I wanted to do what he was doing. So he got me this old typewriter. And I just remember being completely enchanted by the feeling of the keys and the sound uh, of the the motion of the the keys hitting the paper, Um, you know, having to... Uh, move the bar back after each line there's something about the smell and the motion and the sound all enchanted me and captured captivated my uh my heart and you know the fact that you can see something in your mind and then put it down onto the page and then somebody else can read that and then get the image in their mind um something we take for granted for that now but i it really is a kind of magic that captured me yeah how awesome. So how did the mm. Camino come into your life, Peter? Yeah, so uh, I first heard about the Camino when I was uh, 26, 27 years old. I was at a festival called the Secret Garden Party, um, which is a festival in, in England. And uh, it was during a kind of hedonistic period of my life, um, which, you know, sort of followed on the back of a a quite um, sort of dark and traumatic uh, period for me. Um, I'd been going through uh, a bout of depression that probably lasted for about a year, but um, I had sort of about three months that was really bad where, you know, I I would say it's a bit of a black hole in my my memory. It was, you know, unable to get out of bed, you know, didn't wash for weeks and then just everything just came to a grinding halt. Um, and I was at this festival and I was, t- you know, talking away to somebody and, um, you know, they I overheard the word pilgrimage. And uh, in the midst of all this kind of colourful um um, pageantry and, and sort of alcohol and drug f- fueled sort of uh, in brackets fun. You know, I heard this old word and it was almost like seeing sand blow across stone and revealing this this word. That was the image in my mind. And um, I asked this uh, this girl, her name was Jamie, about uh, what they were talking about, and she went on to tell me that she was going to be walking uh, the Camino de Santiago. And, um, uh, you know, she talked about, you know, this walk across Spain and you just, you just follow these arrows and it really lit something up in me. Um, like I say, before this, I'd been, you could think in the opposite of, of being on a pilgrimage. I've been trapped in the, uh, you know, in my house, I've been trapped in, in my bedroom, um, in complete stasis, you know, unable to move, unable to interact with people, unable to feel or experience any of the colour of life. And uh, here I found myself, you know, learning about this uh, adventure. And, um, yeah, it just, it, it's something about it lit me up. 
And uh, within a week, I had uh, decided I was going to go. Another week later, I had sold everything I owned. Um, I said all my goodbyes. I actually ended a seven-year relationship, which was actually a, a beautiful relationship. And, um, you know, my ex-partner had been an incredibly positive force for me in life. But uh, the relationship had ended. It's just we were sort of, we were just kind of hanging on. Um, she was hanging on out of love uh, for me and the place I was at. And I was hanging on because I was afraid of hurting her and letting go. But um, yeah, it was one of those really, you know, powerful moments in life where you um, you burn down the bond so you can see the moon. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I took took everything to the bins and I, I threw, you know, boxes and boxes and boxes of everything I owned into these big bins that the council took. And, you know, I set off with literally everything I owned on my back and um, I had 300 pounds to my name. Uh, which didn't get me very far. <laughs> and I actually walked uh, for half of the Camino without any money at all. So, yeah, it was a, an incredible adventure. Um, I knew nothing about the Camino other than what I'd heard in this kind of, um, at this festival. Um, and actually, I remember being on the train to St. jean Pied de port um, and I got a text message from Jamie, the girl who had told me about it, she was three or four weeks ahead, and I texted her saying, I have no idea where I'm going to sleep tonight. I have no idea what I'm doing. And she said, she texts, uh, go to St. jean pied de port get yourself a pilgrim passport, follow the yellow arrows to the sea, and everything will change. And she was absolutely right. So that was, that was all I knew. No guidebooks, no maps. I just walked. The book is called Walk With Me, A Journey of Healing on the Camino de Santiago. Tell us about the journey of healing. Yeah, so a year before I'd actually lost my father, um, he had, you know, he was, a, he was a great father, but he had his shadow. And um, you know, that was something that, you know, for, for much of his life, he was the kind of upstanding person. He was the headmaster, the solicitor, the person that solved everybody's problems. Um, but when he retired, you know, uh, things from uh, his childhood began to surface, but uh, surface in the form of um, alcohol abuse. And, you know, he, he'd, he'd struggled with alcohol for all of his life and gone long periods, you know, 10, 12 years without a drink at all. But, um, you know, around that time, it, it whatever had, had, had sort of dwelt uh, in his heart, you know, materialized, it came to the surface. And so there was a few years where things were very difficult in the family. Um, and um, whilst, you know, he did actually die uh, seven years, uh, sorry, uh, seven to 12 months sober, um, you know, he did unfortunately take, take his life. So... Um, it had been, a, you know, obviously a really difficult time for us as a family. Um, I think my depression that I experienced was in caused by two things. In part one, you know, by trying to support uh, my dad and the family with what we were dealing with, um, and then coming to terms with the fact that I had no control uh, and I I really couldn't help at all. <laughs> Uh, and I guess I became burnt out by that. And, you know, seeing the person that always had the answers, the person that um, had led the way, if you, if you like, through life, um, fall down, um, it was, you know, like one of the pillars of your life collapsing. So um, that was, uh, I think, part of the cause of the depression was just that burnout. And another part was um, because I had been living my life for other people. And, um, you know, that goes right back to me getting expelled at school, you know, the situation that we all got ourselves into. That was me ignoring that inner voice that was clearly telling me not to do what we did. You know, I ignored that because I wanted to please the people around me. And that disconnection from my inner self continued. And um, when I went on the Camino, that was really when 
I got to spend time <clears throat> with myself and to reconnect with myself. Um, and so that was definitely part of the part of the journey was that sense of coming home to me. But the the walk with me initially it came about as a title because on my first day, uh, walking out to Saint Jean Pied de Port, you know, early in the morning, about you know five six a.m., pitch black, and uh, you know carrying my bag, I didn't even know if I was on the correct path because it was too dark to see any arrows. And I remember climbing up. Um, through the meadows, going higher up into the the, uh, the higher slopes of the the Pyrenees, and you know, feeling this huge. Obviously, I had this huge weight of a backpack on my bag, um, and uh, you know, all the uncertainty. Where am I going? You know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. All of that kind of weighing down on me. And then, as I was pushing higher up up into the slopes. I, I just called on my father and I said, um, you know, walk with me, Dad, walk with me. And it was like a, almost like a prayer, a prayer for, for strength. And, you know, that kind of kept me company through the, the whole walk all the way to the end when I had a, a really beautiful experience uh, with my father and in, in, in coming to terms with grief, um, going back to that question of love, all of those things kind of came together at the end. But that, that's where the title came from. Initially, it was about walking with my dad. But I think later was a realization. It was about walking with myself, you know, coming home to me and standing strong inside my own being. Um, yeah. Tell us about addiction. What does that word conjure up in you? It's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it was very hard to um, connect my father with um, alcoholism and addiction. You know, I think words create images, uh, images attached to meaning. And for many people, you know, the addiction and um, alcoholics, it, it, you know, at least for me back then, it conjured the image of a, a tramp sitting in a doorway, you know, smelly, un, unwashed, fallen apart, you know, abusive, these kind of things, um, you know, which couldn't have been further from, um, you know, the person my father was. Um, you know, I have a, a much sort of a more compassionate and deeper understanding of those things now. Um, after the Camino, I actually went to London and worked for two, two and a half years with the homeless yeah. um, and got to work with people who perhaps fitted that description a little bit better. Um, but you know, these days addiction, um, could be so to social media, it could be to food, you know, there's as many different types of addiction as there are people, I think. And one of the things with my father, I, you know, supported him to go to A and A and things like this, but my feeling of, of addiction with him was that he wasn't necessarily an alcoholic. I felt like he was a, Alcoholic. I felt that, um, uh, you know, he, he, for example, you know, when he stopped drinking uh, in the latter part of his life, he got heavily involved in a, a quite evangelical church. And it, and it was like he had replaced the alcohol with um, religion and um, not in a, in a sort of integrated, healthy sense, but in a sort of addictive sense. It, it was almost like just changing the wallpaper. Um, later, he moved away from that particular church and, and found a, a new expression of, of uh, his Christianity, which was much healthier and integrated and, and had substance to it. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's always different ways of looking at these things and they have yeah. different different meaning but you know i think for many people and and for my father his drinking really was about dealing with the pain that he'd experienced as a child um his father i never met but his father uh, was an alcoholic and you know he had died um uh, living he'd been living on the streets because he'd you know been abusive and violent um, the story went you know he, like a lot of men from that generation they went away to world war ii 
they came back traumatized and you know they didn't have the the same understanding of things like shell shock or ptsd um, and trauma as we do now and um yeah he was he was a brute and he brutalized my, my grandmother and my father um and he ended up you know on the street and uh, he actually you know drowned in his own sick and my my father was actually required to go and identify his body at the same age that i was when i identified my father's body and you know life has a way of i think sort of revolving around pat- these circular patterns um i was very fortunate in the way i look at this is that you know my father get really gave to me a sense of responsibility around things like drugs and alcohol because you know he saw that um his father was an alcoholic i think his his own grandfather was an alcoholic he was an alcoholic and he was really terrified of um, me or my brother taking that on and i think there's much of his struggle through life um through many of the years where he wasn't drinking was actually the part of the times it was most difficult to be around him um, because he was really fighting this internal battle all of the time. Um, but, you know, I like to think that uh, it was like we're running a relay race and that, you know, he ran three quarters of the way so that I just had to take the baton over the line. Um, oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the way I, I feel about it. Yeah. yeah. Wow, what a question. Holy smokes. And what an answer. That's just amazing. Uh, on your website, it says you pose this question, how far would you fall before changing your mind? Mm. What do you mean by that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, um, you know, the book uh, in some ways is about, uh, you know, healing from depression, um, healing from um, or generational trauma, the things that we inherit from our parents and beyond. Um, and, you know, that's the, the metaphor of the rucksack, really. It's like all that weight that we're carrying. And, um, you know, in the, the story is, in a sense, my journey on the Camino, but it's also concurrently to that is my father's story from a young age. And those two stories meet in the middle and then they go on. And, um, so the the book actually begins very it actually begins at a point in the middle where I'm standing on a cliff and actually con, you know considering stepping off um so um yeah it it was really about you know depression you know mm. it it can be um experienced in varying degrees you know some people it's mild some people it can be very deep um and, you know, my view on depression is, you know, if you like, for example, if you get cancer and it doesn't get treated, then you'll die of terminal cancer. And I think it's the same with depression. You know, if you don't, if you don't treat the root cause, if you don't get to that underneath thing, you know, you can die from depression. It, it can be that serious. Um, for me, when, you know, my father actually took his life in a strange kind of way, that or maybe not, you know, that jumped me out of the, the depression I was in because it suddenly became very serious. And when I'll be experiencing these very negative thought patterns, um, suddenly I had this terror that I could follow him. And in some ways there was a, a sense of inevitability that, you know, if your father goes ahead of you and, and le- leaves, you know, makes the path, you know, most people, they, you know, we, we follow the in our footsteps of our parents. Um, it became a terrifying proposition that really made me fight, you know, re- really determined to uh, defeat depression and to do it without medication um, and to do it in a way that would last, you know, to get to the, the root issue and to live life in a way um, that would not lead me back to a, a dark place. And, you know, 12 years on, I can say that's, uh, that's so far been a success. Wow. What a journey. Holy smokes. Mm. At various times in your life, you lived in ashrams, surf retreats, kung fu schools, shamanic tree houses. You even spent some time on a sheep farm in New Zealand. But you also say 
Peter, that life catches up to you no matter how far you run. And I'm intrigued by that suggestion because we can never really run from ourselves. We are ourselves, aren't we? Uh, We live and breathe as one. Aren't I aware that I'm running? And can't I stop that running? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think at some point you have to stop running and you have to turn around and and face it. Um, And I think uh, for many people, um, whether it's going on pilgrimage or uh, another uh, kind of journey, is you you get to experience you get to experience that um, what would you say you put yourself you you take yourself out of everything that is familiar yeah. and safe and yeah. routine and you put yourself into a place where there is nowhere left to run you know and you know I experienced this describe it in the book that having these amazing time on the Camino. It's, it, I mean, it's funny to, whenever I talk about the book, because you are dealing with sort of, you know, um, deep themes, whether it's depression or suicide or addiction and these kind of things. But actually my journey, my, my experience as a pilgrim was one of joy, excitement, enthusiasm, adventure, uh, exhilaration. It was an amazing, you know, every day was just like a sense of profound freedom. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you do get to those places inevitably where you're on your own and you're facing uh, difficult times. For me, you know, I got to a place where I didn't know how I was going to eat. I, I would have no money. Um, you know, I'd eaten the last crust of um, bread and wiped the last little bit of gel out of a jam jar you know, caught in a thunderstorm and just thinking, you know, you're a fool, you know, you've got, you, you've come all this way, you know, you're acting like life's a big game and now it's caught up to you and, you know, really facing some dark moments like that. But the wonderful thing is, is that it's, you know, it's a cliche now to say, but it's always darkest before the dawn, but it's in, it's right after those moments that suddenly the sun comes out and everything works out. But it's, you have to, I think in life, you have to facilitate these moments for yourself. Because if you don't, they will happen to you. Life will force them upon you in a sense. And that's what I learned from my dad. You know, he was, uh, you know, he was a dad to to two children of his own and two that that he took on from my mum's first marriage. He had a lot of responsibilities and, you know, maybe he didn't have uh, the luxury of time and freedom that I've been able to create for myself. Um, so those things were forced upon upon him in a sense. Um, they caught up to him, you could say. And, you know, I, I looked at that and I learned from that and I thought, I can't, I, I cannot do the same you know we all have things undercurrents that are moving us and unless we're prepared to dive down and and swim in those currents then they're gonna rise up and flood over us that's that's the way i think about it so Yeah. Yeah. yeah life life does catch up to you yeah yeah the title of the book is walk with me so you want people to walk alongside you in a sense as well not just that your father or you called on your dad to walk beside you and you're hoping that th- that the reader can learn and hopefully benefit from your experiences, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I'm uh, probably like yourself and like uh, probably I'd say the majority of people that walk the Camino, you become a uh, propagandist for <laughs> being a pilgrim. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's when it has such a profound, uh, you know, healing experience on you uh of course you want to share that with people um and like i said you know the most of my experience was that that sort of happiness and joy but i knew that i would have to write you know some of the the dark stuff that went before you know in order to give um you know to give the the light its radiance you know it's um I think I start at the beginning of the book, you know, to appreciate the light, you, you do have to go into the dark. And, um, yeah, my, my hope is in writing this book is that people, uh, perhaps who were like me as I was, uh, back in those days, you know, maybe find themselves in a dark or difficult place. 
um, can't find the answers, um, is, has lost hope. Uh, you know, it is my hope that maybe they'll read the book and that they will step back from their edge and that they will find a way to live life as an adventure because I really believe that's what we're made for. Um, I don't believe that we're made to exist in this constant state of comfort and slightly adjusting ourselves for comfort. Um, you know, I believe that we're made for an adventure and to serve purpose. And uh, that was what I discovered on the walk. And I really hope that, that people, whether they're having a hard time or a great time, you know, will, will give themselves the gift of going on a pilgrimage. Tell us about what happened to you after the Camino, because you're working on a new book and it's about partly about the experiences that you had after the Camino and you touched on it earlier. Take us to, take us to London. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm writing a book. It's called Tiger Mountain. This is a, a sort of follow-up. And, um, yeah, so when I, when I left the Camino, in many ways, you know, it was um, an it just an incredibly powerful experience, and uh, but I, I wasn't really able to fully integrate everything that had happened uh, to me for a few years afterwards. Um, and you know, they, they I think they say it, you know it's quite common in life that you sort of in brackets make a mistake, and sometimes you have to make it two or three times over to really uh, and learn the wisdom of it. And so you know, I, I left uh, at the end of the Camino. I decided to move to London. And um, you know, work with the homeless, and I, and I suppose in part there was an element of redemption there, wanting to you know um, uh, sort of um, you know if I couldn't save my father, perhaps save somebody else or something. But I think it was more coming from a genuine place of wanting to take take what I'd learned and to really ha- try and help help people. And um, you know, so I worked uh, for a, a charity there for two and a half years. Um, in the first year, um, I was awarded Support Worker of the Year, and the project, a new project that, that was started, and it won uh, the Project of the Year for London. So, um, yeah, I had some amazing adventures there, and carry, you know, I really carried with me that um, the sense of curiosity that you have as a pilgrim. Um, you know, one of the, th- the key things that I found whilst walking the Camino was this very surreal and uh, tangible sense of uh, things happening for a reason. You meet the right people just at the right time. Um, you know, you, you would walk with somebody, something that you would share, that, you know, would be like the missing piece, the jigsaw for them, and they would share something and vice versa. So it was like, yeah, I carried that on, you know, that you, each person you meet, you know, has the potential for the, the little, the little piece that's missing from you. If you're just willing to be open and curious and if you're willing to be vulnerable and to share, you know, mm. if you're willing to, to share about yourself. And so I took that to working with, you know, some of the most, um, downtrodden and, um, you know, uh, the people at the very bottom of society, the people who, you know, sometimes quite often are very challenging to work with, to be with. They have, you know, quite destructive uh, ways of being, ways of behaving, and ways of interacting with people. Um, but I treated them as a pilgrim. Um, I treated them as, a, as just another fellow traveler on the road. And I think in you know it was because of that uh, I was able to reach people and yeah I had some some you know successes you learn to you learn to uh, really count the small wins you know and that could be just as little as getting somebody to open up that day or to yeah. eat that day yeah. you know, to eat solids that day it, it could be very small things become big wins. Um, yeah, and after that, so I did that for two and a half years, and then I became kind of burnt out, and I um, moved on to uh, working in the corporate sector. Um, and then I decided that I was going to go to Nepal and do a, a long walk there. I did a 30-day solo walk to the uh, base camp of Annapurna. And um, when I got to the top of that 
that walk, the, the, the base camp, that, that was a moment where it was like I was looking back from where I stood, you know, from one mountaintop all the way back to the, where I stood at the end of the Camino. And it was as though the time between those two moments was like a valley uh, where I'd sort of forgotten myself for a time and it was like returning, again, returning to myself. And I would say from that moment, you know, that was the completion of the, the circle. From that moment, I really stepped into being who I was and, and to living life as, as fully as I can as that person. Do you ever think, I wonder what my life might have been like had I not heard that person mention pilgrimage at that music festival? And so I, I haven't, I've, I've never actually considered that. Um, that's so, it's such a, it's such a strange thing to be asked that. That's something I actually have never considered. Um, I feel in a way it's, you know, it was written. And so uh, I, 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 I think it's so, such a strange thing to think about because who I am is so integral to the Camino. Yeah. Uh, it had such, such a you know profound effect uh, you know i know from listening to you, to your podcast and you know hearing some of your experiences some of your guests experiences the, the, every person you meet you know the threads of their life you know become so intertwined with your our own and it's like this beautiful tapestry that's being created and you know, this beautiful fabric is being woven. Um, we may never see what that looks like, the big picture, but I believe it probably the most beautiful mosaic or, you know, fabric that's ever created. Um, but I don't, I, I couldn't imagine taking the, the Camino out of my life's thread. I couldn't imagine it at all. What's one piece of advice you've given to somebody who's thinking maybe, the Camino will provide light for my darkness as it has for Peter. What's a piece of advice you'd give to somebody thinking that? Um, I would say to listen to your soul and to trust. Um, for me, it was, it was very easy to trust, even though um, I'd been through some really difficult times. I believe the love that my parents had, had given me and... Um, you know, enable me to trust in the world, and that trust was rewarded. And I think if you if you step bravely on onto the road, the road will reward you. And that happened to me time and time again. There's so many examples, you know, where I lay that out in the story. Um, you know, is like I said, there's always these moments of doubt. Um, but you know, you if you can just in those moments of fear. If you can keep your heart open, if you can remain curious, everything will work out. And so, you know, you, I often hear people say, I'd love to do the Camino, but, you know, yeah. and, you know, I always just think, like, it doesn't matter what but you, you give me, um, I will have met somebody that did that anyway. Um, you know, I, I heard, I think in... in um, you know, your, on your first day, you met somebody that, you know, they they were dying and they were walking the yeah, Camino. I, yeah. You know, I also met somebody like that, um, you know, and, and they, they were doing 40 kilometers a day and were walking for the sole purpose of simply helping others walk. And so, you know, I met an 86-year-old. Um, I met someone who walked from, you know, from Germany. I, there was four lads who walked from Hungary with no money. Um, it, you know, it doesn't matter what ailment or problem you have, you'll always find an excuse or you'll find a way to do it. You know, the choice is up to you. Well, it's been just such a terrific pleasure and, and, and delight to speak to you. My gosh, I've really thoroughly enjoyed it, Peter. But there is one last question. Hmm. Tell us a Camino story. <laughs> okay, well... Uh... Yeah, I I met this. Uh, you know, as you know, and anyone that's walked the Camino will you know recall these beautiful synchronicities and uh, you know in brackets coincidences. And I met this uh, uh, this uh, lady and guy who were walking together. Uh, they'd met on the first day, and we were 
we were talking about all these coincidences that were happening and they told me uh, one of theirs and her name was Gemma. She was from Barcelona. She was, um, you know, 45 at the time, worked in the corporate sector and had decided to leave everything and walk. And, you know, her mum was giving her a hard time because she hadn't married and had kids and she was having a sort of midlife crisis. <laughs> and so, you know, she'd never walked you know, apart from in high heels and, you know, was really daunted by the task of walking the Camino. And on the first day, she'd gone a few kilometres up the up the slopes and broke down crying and just thinking, I can't do this, this is absurd. And she called her friend who had told her about the Camino, who had walked the Camino the year before. And um, she didn't answer, so she left a voicemail and she'd been crying on the phone, you know, I can't do this. What am I doing? This is stupid. And um, just as she put the phone down, along came this chap called Pedro, who had walked for, you know, who'd previously walked the Camino. And he came along and he was a larger than life character, full of enthusiasm and passion and humor. And he finds a crime by the side of the road and says, come on, get up. And, you know, gets her up and they, they walk together and he gets her to the top of the, uh, the Pyrenees on that first day and she's like you know thank you you know how am I going to do this without you you know he's walking 40 kilometers a day I'll never keep up with him and I can't do this on my own and so her friend in Barcelona then you know rings her and they talk and she says look don't worry I'll a friend of mine is walking on the Camino who I met when I walked it I'll call him and see if you know he can help you and so she puts the phone down and then Pedro's phone rings oh, no. and yeah, and it was, and it was him. And, you know, part of the really cool thing about that was that, you know, Pedro had walked the previous year in the winter and he'd only met five people and those five people, five of the pilgrims had walked together the entire way because there was, there was nobody else walking it and they walked in, you know, hip deep snow and they had to sleep in barns and everything was closed. And so, you know, that that was just an amazing part of that. But one of the really profound things uh, that came out of me meeting them was um, Pedro had been a policeman. He had, uh, you know, had this motorbike that he would drive around Madrid on. And, um, you know, he, he told us his story. And, you know, he had been, in his words, uh, quite corrupt at times. He would take bribes and he would stop people and he you know he would stop women and get a phone number and he was just acting very like out of his ego um and you know he was later uh, diagnosed with um, testicular cancer and so you know it was this sort of you know big life-changing moment for him and he was approached by uh, this young young man who he had arrested for some crime and he thought, oh, my God, this guy's come to track me down after prison. Uh, but actually, this, this young man came to him and said, I wanted to thank you for arresting me that day. Because of you, you know, I went to prison, but the judge suspended his sentence on the condition he walked Camino. And so walking the Camino had changed this young man's life so much, you know, in, in innumerable ways. He tracked down Pedro and, and, and thanked him. And so... Pedro, you know, in that moment decided to walk the Camino himself. He walked that winter. He didn't want to wait because he, he had this cancer. He kept telling himself, if I can walk, if I can walk, then I'm well healthy. And, you know, he walked that entire way and the cancer, you know, had, you know, sort of disappeared or, you know, went into remission. He had an operation but sadly the cancer had returned and so he was walking again and he you know told us he was just going to walk every day irrespective of to the day he died just to help people walk on their caminos so he was a real angel and you know we all meet people like that um and you know it's it's that kind of inspiration that kind of selfless uh, acts of love that we talked about before that really make the Caminos just so special. And makes it and a journey I, of healing. It's a journey of healing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Peter, 
Firstly, thank you. But secondly, congratulations on conquering your fears. Congratulations for having the courage to be a believer in yourself. I think your father would be immensely proud of you. Thank you, Dad. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I'll tell my listeners where to find your book at the end of the podcast and where to find you. In the meantime, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Thank you, Dan. My guest this week was Peter Nathaniel Lee. His book is called Walk With Me, A Journey of Healing on the Camino de Santiago. You can find Peter and his book at peternathaniellee.com. peternathaniellee.com. Frederick Gross wrote in his book, The Philosophy of Walking, none of your knowledge, your reading, your connections will be of any use here. Two legs suffice and big eyes to see with. Walk alone across mountains or through forests. You are nobody to the hills or the thick boughs heavy with greenery. You are no longer a role or a status, not even an individual, but a body, a body that feels sharp stones on the paths, the caress of long grass and the freshness of the wind. When you walk, the world has neither present nor future, nothing but the cycle of mornings and evenings. Always the same thing to do all day, walk. But the walker who marvels while walking the blue of the rocks in a July evening light, the silvery green of olive leaves at noon, the violet morning hills, has no past, no plans, no experience. He has within him the eternal child. While walking, I am but a simple gaze. There's another quote from Peter Nathaniel Lee. Sometimes you have to change everything before you can change yourself. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.